0: College works painting, doesn't make money nine months out of the year. Go figure, it's a summer business. So for nine months, no money coming in and, and money going out, we are probably undercapitalized. So yeah, I stopped paying myself, which means I stopped paying the mortgage on my house. I stopped paying paying the boat payment and the car payment. So I lost all those things in the process. When you, you make the company work, but you don't pay yourself, you destroy your credit.
1: Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence.
2: Welcome to the show and share this one with your friends. We've got Spencer Pepe on the show today. Some of you know him. He's been fishing three days a week for most of his life. He goes to the Caribbean every year, twice a year, lives on the water, but yet he has a job. We're going to talk to Spencer about the life of an entrepreneur using the lessons and struggles of his past, how his evolution occurred in entrepreneurship and what to expect. And we're going to talk about the power of marketing. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Spencer Pepe, it's been a long time since I saw you, since our corporate retreat to that beautiful beach house in Malibu. And what a life you have. Corporate beach houses, fishing boats. Homes on both coasts and a couple islands. Living the life of an entrepreneur after 30 years of entrepreneurship. But we're going to get into how you built this wonderful life that you have. But before we do, we're going to start the way we always start. Spencer Pepe, what is your definition of excellence?
0: Let's see. My definition of excellence would be it's more of a journey than a destination. Every time you set a goal and you hit what you think is it, you just reset your goal, I think. By nature, human beings are insatiable. So when you reach a certain level of excellence, you realize that's just the new normal and, and you reset the clock and, and, and the goal. So, um, I look way back at when I was in college and some of the people that might be listening to this and, and go, my definition of excellence back in college was all I need to make is $100,000 a year, work for myself. Have a lot of time off and i didn't i didn't i didn't i thought that's all I needed in life so a lot of that's true, but the hundred thousand dollar part isn't so much anymore so <laughs> it's uh it's not just about the making of money but it's but it's you know, everything in business every goal you set is gets 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 reset so that's my
2: definition yeah, we won't get into journeys. Some people think of journeys a little bit differently than what you're saying when you say it's a journey through life, not a destination, and you're resetting your goals. But what I hear you saying is there's constant, if you're living a life of excellence, there's constant achievements. There's goals that you're constantly hitting. You're constantly pushing yourself to achieve more, resetting those goals, and you're constantly being the best you can be. And I know you because we've been partners for the entire time I've been in business. And you launched me as an entrepreneur before I even was an entrepreneur. So I know that coupled with that, there's a consistency of goals too. And so you have these constant achievement, uh, constantly pushing yourself, but you have some consistency. You consistently want to be the best partner and, and, you know, you work with a lot of people. We have a lot of partners. But you want to be the best partner. You consistently have always been the person that always wants to do the right thing. And, and I'm so many conversations for the past 30 years of and many of them costing a lot of money on for you and me and Jeff and Jay of what's the right thing to do. Or so there's a constant and sticking to your integrity, a constant in sticking to your values, a constant in sticking to being the best having the the smallest wake, the less disruptive wake behind you and a constant focus on, I guess, impact that hasn't changed, but the achievements have changed through life. Is that fair? Well,
0: it sounds better
2: when you say it. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of these now, by the way. So I've got a good radio voice. Oh, I do need to set some ground rules. Uh, ground rules. I, every once in a while, I throw some flags if I don't like what you say. And also, we do not correct the host. So any data points that, seem a little off we go with it we do not correct the host in this show it's not about being exact because we're both drivers and again we have episode four you can go look at disc. Spencer and i both know our discord driver influencers we don't care about being exact all right spencer so we're going to dive in you've got this great business that spans across the united states it's been in a couple other countries you've got this great life with a fishing boat behind your house and a couple kayaks and a couple paddleboards paddle boards and a couple jet skis and another big boat parked somewhere on some island. You live the life. you got two little kids. You made money early, saved a bunch of money. You're able to have a little bit more freedom. You never worked Friday for like 10 or 15 years, which since you don't listen to the show, you don't know that I've complained about that because when I did my gig of going around the world, and I was out for 15 weeks, traveling traveling with the EO, being chairman of EO. You came and got a little bit frustrated. And you said, now you're going to pay the price. And you guys stacked my work week for like five years. And then about five more years later, I found out that you had never worked on a Friday. So you have this wonderful, wonderful life. Let's talk about how you got there. And I think there's some pain points when we go back to your definition of excellence. You know, you talk about saving, you talk about pushing yourself. There's some pain points that caused you to set goals like you're the best saver out of all of our partners. You're the one that put the most money in out of all of our partners. And in the last recession, we got another one coming. You have the most money and now you had the most money and it kind of carried us through because you had some financial difficulties in college and you never wanted to have those again, right? That's correct. Okay, so let's go way back. You grew up in Pasadena. You were valedictorian. You uh, were out uh, knocking on doors, spreading religion, right? (laughs) College work religion, yeah. Before that, didn't you do that in high school? Weren't you? No, no, I've never been part of the Mormon church, no. Okay, well, I wasn't talking about that. And again, I got to throw the flag. We don't correct the host. So when Spencer was younger, as I remember it, and I've known him for a long time, he was out knocking on doors, spreading, uh, spreading faith, I thought. And then you graduated as valedictorian, which I know that's true, right? Okay. That's one of the, one of the facts I didn't accidentally make up in my mind. You went to UC Riverside and were you a good student and you were a great student in high school. It's hard to get into a UC school. You're doing a bunch of things in high school, getting ahead. You go to college. Were you a good student in college? I know you were good at partying. I know you're good at being in the fraternity. I know you were a social chair, but were you getting good grades?
0: Yeah, I got great grades in, in college. I, but I tell people that my focus changed once I got to college. You know, I was straight A student, valedictorian in high school, but I, I needed to work on my social skills, my social intelligence. So, so yes, I partied a lot and because, um, that helped me with my social skills. So I got, well, I got straight A's in high school. I got mostly B's in college, but focused a lot more on, on friendship, networking. And uh, sports, I think those things held my attention more in college than um, than straight academic for sure.
2: So everybody's got something that they're good at and something that they're bad at. Spencer and I, we're not detail-oriented. And we could have maybe earlier in life focused on that a little bit. Now it's a weakness. It's not even worth our time because we're both over 50. If you're in your 20s and you are listening to this at 1.5 speed, you might have some things you can improve on before it's set in and you should work on some of your weaknesses. But if you know about Strength Finder, it's about finding your strengths. You are you're young. You're not going to give up on your social skills. So you're coming out of high school knowing, hey, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty good at a few different things. I've got this one area where I need to improve in social skills. And you, you made uh, probably an informal plan in your mind on how to improve on the social skills while you're in college.
0: Well, I, I would say that it was very formal. I joined a fraternity and, and uh, focused a, a lot on going to parties and socializing. That was, it was a plan. Oh, oh, oh there oh. weren't a lot of details to the plan, Matt, but uh, you know, five days, five days a week of drinking. Well, will will erase a lot of detail
2: okay so that was a subtle joke so this you you i was sitting there thinking wait a second i know you were super dorky when i met you and we're not going to get into uh, the improvement of your social skills that i was able no, to i was
0: cool by the time you met me i was dorky going into college
2: but thank thank god i was there to make spencer cool so you're kind of dorky in high school you realize you're a dorky in college you partied all the time now i get what you're saying and Did you realize you needed to get ahead? Did you realize that just parting in the fraternity um, wasn't going to do it? Or were you thinking, hey, it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know. I'll be fine.
0: No, you know, it was probably more based than that. When I look back at how my thought process worked when I was a 19-year-old, my dad went bankrupt and he said he wasn't paying for college anymore. So it starts with something very basic, which is I got to pay my bills somehow. I'm working in in a cafeteria making $3.65 an hour. Um, that wasn't going to pay my way through school. So I was, uh, desperate and aggressive enough to look for anything that could make a lot of money in the summer. And taking a fishing boat to Alaska or Paul's work painting were the only two things that came across my field of view. So I had to pick one of those two things.
2: All right. And so one both good both great experiences both teach you work ethic both teach you perseverance both help improve your life both give you stories to talk about interviews one you're actually running a business but you're doing it because you have pain point one pain point one and if you're listening huh yeah if you're listening right now pain point one some of you have had some serious pain points and i was talking to someone today about it you deal with the pain and you deal with the grief. You don't bottle it up and save it for later, Kennedy, if you're listening. That's what my daughter does. You deal with it, and then you use it as a lesson. What you can look forward to when you're in a pain in a painful position is, what am I going to get out of this? So dad goes bankrupt. That's horrible. Got to pay for college. But you have pain point one. I never want to live like that. I got to make sure I make some money. And two, I need to get it done. And You, you had this opportunity to run a business. And so you ran a, a stupid, I know they used to call it at UC Riverside, the stupid, stupid painting pain. business.
0: That's my fraternity. Not, uh, my fraternity brothers called it. Stupid, stupid
2: painters. Pain. How, how, when you're doing something that's really productive, do you get away from the crabs? Crabs pull everything back in the bucket. One crab tries to get away. i all fishing analogies on this one, Spencer, for you. Um, the other crabs drag it in. How do you, at that age, how did you deal with your fraternities call, brothers calling it stupid painters? Nobody had ever heard of it before. Nobody had succeeded made a bunch of money before. How'd you deal with that negative? And if you're listening right now, you may not be working for stupid painters. You're probably not. You're in New York somewhere, but you still have the crabs telling you, you shouldn't go do this. You shouldn't go do that. How did you deal with it, Spencer? Well, for me, it was I took it as a
0: challenge, right? They called it two containers because they're like, there's no way you're going to make any money doing it. Right. So, but at the same time, you know, work life balance, I, I, I didn't want to miss out on anything. I mean, I was working because I didn't want to, I, I was working so I could stay in school. So because school was a lot of fun. And, uh, so, so how i balance balanced the two is more important. It's like Monday through Friday, I still went to all the parties and the social events and played intramural sports and, and did it so I, I didn't miss out on anything and so what i'd have to kindly remind them is i'm like look do you see me missing anything they're like no i'm like all right i'm like so when you guys are sleeping i'm doing something to better myself so we'll see at the end of the summer who who's right
2: and so you turn an opportunity you turn an issue into an opportunity big issue turn it into an opportunity i'm going to go out there and make it happen i'm going to better myself so it's not Oh, oh, man, I got to pay for college now. It's, I'm going to use this opportunity to better myself. And and I think more importantly, you're working for a purpose. You're working to enjoy, right? You're working so you can stay in school and enjoy your life. If you're out there right now, you don't have goals set. What are you doing this for? Are you saving for a house? Are you saving for a vacation? And in Spencer's case, are you adding to your resume so you can make a bunch of money later? Maybe stop the car, pull over, and set down some goals and write down the reason why. And you can go look up Simon Sinek's TED Talks. There's got to be a reason why. So you do the college CollegeWorks gig, and then you buy yourself a Mercedes convertible. And back then, there was only one model of Mercedes convertible. There wasn't the cheap, lame SLK, and then the AMG and the SL. There was just one, and it was the SL. And you got the badass Mercedes while you are in college to park in front of the fraternity and rub it in everybody's face.
0: That's true. That's true. I did, that did happen. All right. It didn't happen right away, right? I mean, it was, you know, this whole time they're calling it stupid painters. I I didn't book a single estimate in my first 25 estimates. So I did this to make money and, and get the experience, but it didn't start out great. But you, what really resonates to me on, on what you said, Matt, is that compared to washing dishes, compared to doing a menial job, using my mind, meeting with customers, uh, writing up a bid, even though I was failing at it, the first twenty-five attempts, it was so exciting to work in that capacity, and and that's kind of what drove me through. It wasn't the early success. By the end of the summer, I didn't have enough money to buy that Mercedes. I had to do that too. So, yeah.
2: Oh, too bad, It's funny how parallel our our story is. And I didn't know you then because I was just a lowly intern. And you didn't. But I out. knew you, Matt. You didn't reach out but to the interns you. back then. Um, but, uh, I didn't book any of my first 24, 25 basically gave up and then booked one that day and it became a legend. That guy, Alan Gaines. And, uh, I bought a Maserati at the end of the summer and that, that too is back when Maseratis were even cooler than they are now. I thought you um, bought two Maseratis, man. No, no, no. My Maserati became someone else's parts car because I couldn't afford to keep fixing it. And speaking of pain point number two, Spencer, something went down. All of a sudden, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. What has happened to me and Spencer in, entre- in entrepreneurship? We've lost everything a couple times. He got, the, he got the whole trend started. So something happened. Pay point two. And back to your definition of success. You know, you, you, you're putting yourself through college. You're a winner. That's not enough. So you're putting yourself through college running a business. But that's not enough. You're putting yourself through college, running a business, and doing it twice so you could do really well at it your second year as a vet person. But that's not enough. You're going to get promoted, but that's not enough. And you're rising up and really quickly in the world of figuring out your career. You want to be an entrepreneur and something went wrong. And all of a sudden, all the money's gone for the first time for you. Um, quickly, what happened? But more importantly, how'd you change your mindset and get through that pain point? And how did it change your, your goals for later? Back to your definition of success.
0: Well, again, I, I again, I look back at that, that that time in my life, and and I I just kept doing the job, right? Managing two years, disadvantaged for two years, became a VP. Everything was going well, and we teach entrepreneurship, but sometimes it takes a wake up call to go. You're in a system that propagates it, but when do you, when is that moment you really become an entrepreneur? Right? It's like, well, I'm a, I'm a VP of a large of a large company. And then one day the company is no longer there. They say, Hey, we're, we're going out of business. We ran out of money. So it's, I'm part of something bigger than myself, but something bigger than myself said it's over. Right. So that's like, that's the point where you're like, okay, well, well now what? I thought things were really good. Like in the state of California, where we were running this, that's the only microcosm that I had. It's like, well, everything must be running as well as California, but apparently it wasn't. So when the the, the mother company in Canada, which was our parent company at the time, went out of business, I was faced with probably my first pain point, which is, okay, this wasn't about setting higher goals. This is about survival, right? Okay, well, now what? Either I go get a job like all my friends, fill out job applications and, and resumes, or I restart this business. And for me, it was scarier to fill out a job application, which I've never done, fill out a job application and, and, and make up a resume than it was to continue doing what we were doing. So uh, Jay and myself, and shortly later, Matt and Jeff,
2: restarted the business. Why, why did you lose all your money at that time? You couldn't make payments on the things that you had bought when you had a lot of money, right? Well, that's the other part. So you you go into it
0: with the nine to pay that I'm going to start this business and I'm going to raise some money. Because, you know, it takes money to make money. So
2: That's why we're partners. Yeah. Because <laughs> I couldn't do it either.
0: Yeah. So you go out there and try to raise money and I and I, I really struggle with that. There's very little money that i raised. So that first year of taking over the business, you know, college works painting doesn't make money nine months out of the year. Go figure. It's a summer business. So for nine months, no money coming in and, and money going out, we are probably undercapitalized. So, so yeah, I stopped paying myself, oh. which means I stopped paying a mortgage on my house. I stopped paying, paying the boat payment and the car payment. So I lost all those things
2: in the process. And so we need to stop. So, you, so you had a lot of money for down payments. You didn't have a lot of money. Well, you had a lot of money for payments, but you didn't have a lot of money for a rainy day. So Spencer and I don't ever want to feel that pain point again. So we both have rainy day funds and we're ready if we ever have to turn our paychecks off again to handle that.
1: Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in, To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show.
2: Spencer's talking about the first time he turned his paychecks off. Later on, Spencer's funny because Spencer and Jeff Spencer Jay took off to go work in another company, and me and Jeff wanted to buy the company, and we couldn't because we couldn't raise money. That's why we're partners now, and we became partners out of our inability, but that pain point of not being able to pay yourself and that pain point of losing everything happened to all of us again and again. Spencer, this was my first time. Actually, it was my my third time when it really happened big. Spencer had already learned. And what you need to know as an entrepreneur is there will be a time when you can't pay yourself. And what you need to know as someone that wants to be an entrepreneur is don't go out and buy yourself a bunch of stuff with payments. I thought my house was an asset. It's not an asset. You got to make payments on it. It's a liability. And if you can't make the payments, the bank takes it and you lose your asset. And if it's a house, they sell it at half the price. So if you had 45% equity, you get nothing. So that's a nasty truth of entrepreneurship. Your first time you were overextended, you're the least extended, right, Spence? You went through this experience. Well, I am now
0: because of that valuable lesson or what you call pain point. It's very simple, right? It doesn't, it's not always like the wisdom of of coming out of that is that you got to realize that when you, you make the company work, but you don't pay yourself, you destroy your credit. So the best thing that ever happened to me in life is the bank saying no to me. I couldn't go out again and buy another car on credit. Uh, I didn't have a credit card for a while and could use for credit. So there were several years after I came, you know, the business made it after year one and things got back on the right track. But I got used to a world where if I didn't have cash to pay for it, I didn't buy it. So it created a, my overhead was very low and I've lived these principles ever since. I have zero debt except for a mortgage payment, right? So no debt, you get your own house in order and then all of a sudden banks want to give you money. So money is something you use for, for real estate or for business. It's not something to use to finance your lifestyle. I learned that very early, but making all the same mistakes every yuppie makes to, to get there. I overextended myself. And now I'm a better person for it because I don't believe in debt. When you have debt on your personal life, you're basically a slave to the bank. You work for yeah.
2: So you said you said money is for business, not personal life. You meant credit. So we use credit in our company, and we don't use our own personal credit because if the shit hits the fan, you can't be paying debts from the past. And when the shit hit the fan for us in a big way together, once we were partners, I didn't have the the emergency fund. I did have the bills and I had to go through what Spencer had to go through and learn the same lesson. Uh by the way, I learned this from my dad. The people around you, like uh, you know, Spencer's a little bit older, had a little bit of experience before me. My parents, they know what you should be doing, but they don't tell you because you wouldn't listen anyway. So Spencer could have said, hey Matt." You shouldn't be driving around these Ferraris that have actually my Ferraris didn't have payments, but other things had payments. So I had to sell the Ferraris to pay off the other thing. You could have told me that you could have told me to live within my means when I was
0: some people have to jump before they'll listen.
2: Yeah, because we don't listen. We don't listen. That's why my dad never told me. That's why Spencer never told me, because when you're a driver, influencer and a lot of entrepreneurs don't listen. So maybe there's another action for your list. Start paying attention to what other people are telling you because the secrets are there. You don't have to go through this horrible stuff. So
0: I think there's a couple simple books too that people can read. Um, I, I don't read as many books as Matt does and some of my other partners. So it's not my strong suit in life because it's probably because I'm not a good listener. But uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Millionaire Next Door, those have, they're very simple reads. You can read them in, in one day. Um, but it, it, it's very simple concept of not, of, of having a life with no personal debt. That's really, really the messages of both of those folks.
2: And there needs to be someone in the partnership that lives by that because when the shit hits the fan and it's about to, the banks need to see that the bills are going to get paid and that people are backing up the loans. Let's move from just the, the start of the, of the company, the start of the partnership, and let's just move into the niche. So we've been partners for 30 years. I don't know how many companies we started together. A lot of them failed, though. And I think I someone did account for us 11 with failure, failure, failure. Uh, we don't m- measure each other. We don't. W- in the beginning, we used to second guess each other. Uh, we do do a little politicking and a little backstabbing once in a while of our partners when they do stupid things. But pretty much we've had this partnership where everybody does as much as they can and they're out learning as much as they can. We talk a lot about learning and growing, and you are the some of your five closest friends, and how you do one thing is how you do everything, and you know, Jeff's excellent at writing, and you're excellent at fishing, and Jay's excellent at coaching, and I'm excellent at volunteering, and we have these lives where we're out gathering things, but throughout our partnership of 30 years, our roles have changed a lot. We collectively ran companies together. We split it up. We've traded off on operational sides. We specialize, we've unspecialized. We started companies and shifted and shifted back. And we all have to kind of, we're all fighting. It's like same thing in, in the friendships that I'm, that I'm in. We're fighting to deliver value all the time. And so you have focused for many, many years on knowing about marketing and bringing marketing knowledge to the business. So you, you're an entrepreneur that specializes in marketing. How'd you pick that niche of marketing? What are you doing to stay kind of ahead and on the cutting edge? And why do you care to deliver your knowledge to everybody else in other companies? Like, help me out with your knowledge in a brand that you're not even working in anymore. Why is that part of your entrepreneurship?
0: The best analogy I can give is that you, you have it, this engine that can take you from point A to point B in life and success and your goals in business. And that engine needs fuel. It could be the best engine in the world. It could be an engine that could go 250,000 miles. It could go around the world three times, but without fuel, it goes nowhere. And so I recognized very early that I can't, as a company grows, and I and I and, and being an entrepreneur, I can say, well, I can't do everybody's job. But if I'm going to focus on one area of the business that I can make the biggest impact, it's going to be to make sure there's enough fuel delivered to the engine, always. So. At College Works, that means we had to knock on enough doors. But as a district manager, I always felt like, God, my, my guys didn't get as many leads as I did. So it was, it starts there. Like, how do we get enough leads? I spent, you know, when, when Jeff and, and Matt took over College Works painting, I got to go into mortgage banking for 10 years and it was the same dilemma. And that's what I, and that's the problem that I wanted to solve it was like having enough leads, driving enough leads. Um, into the business. And it was a different type of lead, right? At college works, maybe it was how many doors did you knock on? And then, well, how many marketers can you hire to knock on the doors for you? I was really good at that part. In mortgage banking, it was internet, right? You know, so you're using more technology and getting getting leads, but still having enough leads. And then, uh, so we didn't have to knock on doors. We took the pain out of knocking on doors for so that that felt more sexy. But as your organization grows, the pressure is still on you to go, yeah, but do I have enough leads at the right price point to make the model work? And um, ultimately, when things run well, it's because it's a marketing-driven model. The leads flow at the right price point. The salespeople make enough sales from those leads. The whole ecosystem runs off of that. So I thought in the mortgage business for 10 years and was a big part of the marketing and bringing the right lead vendors in. And then with Home Genius, in the last four or five years, I'm the chief marketing officer. Um, before, we had a chief marketing officer. So I come in as an owner and a, and a partner. Jeff Dunnis is the CEO. And he said, well, I don't need another CEO, Spencer. Come over here and help me grow this thing. I'm like, well, what do you need? He's like, I need leads. So it's always back to the same thing. So driving the leads in the business, finding enough leads has helped us in the growth of that business as well. So we've more than doubled the business the last four years straight. And, uh, it's all because then we bring enough leads in at the right price point and, uh, and continue to grow. And it's never enough. And that's why, but we keep growing. But I wish I could find twice as many as I found. And every year I, every year I have to find twice as many more.
2: If we get Jay on this uh, recording and we do a vote right now, we'll have majority uh, share voting (laughs) and we could vote Jeff right off that high horse of his. If you want to do that right now, we can do that.
0: Uh, uh, (laughs) No, I think that's, but it it probably brings up something that that makes our partnership work, man. Right. I I think that in, you know, it's been over 35 years that I've been, and we all started in college work painting, right. So we all started there, but I think there was a bunch of leaders that we all got bunched up in one organization and and every we we didn't listen to people that said, You have a lot of leaders and nobody's like in charge. Right. So you know, at some point we've been able to grow enough that that each of us have taken our own path. I was displaced for a few years. Matt was gonna run college work. I, I didn't have anything to run. But I was okay as a partner to not be the guy, the CEO. I'm happy to play a role in the business, but I know it's a marketing role and I know it's the most important role. So I can get out of bed in the morning and go, well, I'm still the make or break of what's going to happen in this model. And and I like being in that seat.
2: Every entrepreneur has to also be an entrepreneur. They have to do it in the company. So when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to start a business, you think, what's my unique ability? Then you think, "What's what's a problem that I need to solve? And then you become an expert at it and you build a team and you invest and you test and you invest and you test and you hire. And that's what you do as an entrepreneur starting a company. And then you have to become an intrapreneur in the company. And again, what's your unique ability? Again, what's a problem to solve or a project, a big project? You become an expert or increase your expertise. You give to the team and build the team, invest and test and hire. So you build out this marketing engine for a few few of the the businesses that we own together. And it's interesting, back to our partnership, out of a desire to make an impact, you don't need to work here. Nobody cares, right? You want to go be done, you can go be done. And your pay won't really change that much. But. There's a desire back to your goals to set a goal, to achieve the goal. You don't need to be a CEO. you're already CEO of the parent company, right? Who cares? Um you're already a, a big shareholder, but you have this goal to be even better and be even more of an expert in this part of the business and push yourself even higher and be the best you can be because you're setting different goals because you have a new role as an entrepreneur just like everybody else does once they start a business and they have a team. And we have, I don't even know how many employees we have, but there's a couple thousand, a thousand, a lot of them. So you want more of those entrepreneurs in your business, creating things. And that's kind of what makes our business work so well, is everybody's constantly building and developing and taking ownership and trying to make their mark, whatever level of the company they're at. So, um, Spencer, I want to go back to when you're in your 20s. and Your friends are bugging you and you're trying to get ahead. We got some good insight into how you kind of stumbled across entrepreneurship and you and you had this passion uh, for marketing that you've been uh, working on for years and years and years. Back then, there was probably some sacrifices that you made. Maybe it was with those guys that were wanting to drag you to the parties. And you look back and you go, thank God I made that sacrifice. Uh, what's that one sacrifice, or the one you think about most, where you go, "Man, that seemed rough at the time. I'm so glad I did it." And why was it important that you did it?
0: Well, I actually joke about what that sacrifice is because I, I again, I'm a big work-life balance guy. I, I had an amazing time in college. I played four to six hours a day of volleyball. I didn't miss the parties that that everybody went to. So, what was what what did I sacrifice? My friends slept in till noon. I had to get up at eight in the morning. So I guess I sacrificed some sleep, but I got plenty of sleep. I just didn't, I had, while my friends were sleeping till noon, I was getting up at eight in the morning, had had, had to get some work done.
2: Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that as your preliminary answer. And we'll take a side, a, a little tangent on that. That's my 20, That's my 20 year old answer. That's but that's your preliminary answer, because I know there was another like I skipped the trip to Spain with my family and never went to Spain. And that's kind of why I did the EO gig, because I wanted I made a promise that I would always go to Europe every year for the rest of my life because that sacrifice. And it's the greatest thing I ever did. So we're going to get to your greatest thing. But I want to hit what you just said there. You're in college. Your balance wasn't getting rid of friends, family, fitness, finance or faith. The five F's friends, family, fitness, finance, faith. That's what you're planning around. That's what you're organizing. That's what you're setting goals around and looking for achievements and impact. in. you didn't sacrifice any of that in college. In fact, you did better than most people at school, which leads to finance. You did better than most people at work, which is finance. Friends and family, you did better with friends and partying and better with family visiting. You sacrificed the least important. And in our time management uh, podcast, we talk about pick your top three things every day and give yourself a break if you don't do everything else. The top three things are never sit around with your buddies. They're never sleep in. So you kind of stopped doing. You had a not a to-do list. You're doing great with your to-do list. You had a stop doing list based on what you saw other people doing that was detrimental to their future. So you, have you always had this kind of Long-term vision that you mix into your balance and your organization to make sure you're kind of spinning that plate at the same time?
0: I wouldn't say it's a long-term vision. It's it's just when you when you strive to do more and lead a full life, you don't realize you're doing it at the time. Like I said, I look back and realize I didn't sleep in till noon. I look back and go, my friends were playing a lot of video games and watching a lot of TV. I didn't have time for those things, but there was nothing else about the college experience that I felt like I missed because I also ran a business, a college worth thinking business.
2: And so the, any big sacrifice that my Spain story got you thinking about?
0: Well, yeah. In the summer, I mean, I, I, I couldn't do what you're talking about. I couldn't do an education abroad program or, or, or something like that. Right. I'm not sure. Maybe you know another story about me that, that you want me to share. Uh, yeah
2: we should do an out i was thinking about this we should do an outtake role and just go beep remember that time you were wearing that ski outfit doing the interview and you were having issues and we could do that but i don't think that's professional and that won't work for this podcast but i we would have an unbelievable outtake role on crazy things we've seen co- college students do crazy things we've seen people do the time the guys took hallucinogenic drugs and did the Easter egg contest in the backyard of the customer and all sorts of weird stuff, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, Spencer, I appreciate you making time today to come on and tell us about how you became an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, fueled the engine for the business, both with leads and with all the cash. Thanks for the cash, buddy. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and the cash, especially in, in the beginning, of course, but especially in 2007. I hope you have a great weekend of fishing off your boat with your kids. I hope you catch a bunch of lobsters that you actually mail to me because I'm not driving all the way up to Huntington Beach to get them. Thanks for coming on the Edge of Excellence. All right. Thanks, Matt.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.